Welcome to Tailboard Talk, a fourth shift fitcast. The mission of Tailboard Talk and the fourth shift fitness is to educate and train fire service personnel to increase durability and decrease the potential for injuries and their associated costs. My name is Chris Morella, owner and founder of Fourth Shift Fitness. I'll use my experience as a personal trainer, strength coach, and 15-year veteran of the fire service to deliver tips, tricks, lessons, and information specifically geared towards the health and wellness of firefighters and paramedics. Each episode, you'll leave with immediate deliverables that will improve performance and resilience and keep you in the fight through your career and into retirement. Let's get into it. What's up, guys? Chris from Fourth Shift Fitness coming to you from the basement today uh, because Nathan's sleeping upstairs, and it just so happens the office is right next to his bedroom, and I wanted to be able to not, like, be super quiet in today's episode because we're going to be talking about vaccines, and I feel like whenever I tried to work this through in my head, a lot of emotion always came into it because it's a very emotionally charged topic. Before we get into that, a little bit of housekeeping stuff. First of all, if you didn't listen to Scott Forbes' episode uh, in the last episode, go check that out. I mean, it is just full of scientific information, and uh, he's a phenomenal resource. If you didn't start following, after, following him after that episode, go back and do that too, because he just consistently and constantly puts out studies and resources and everything you need to know about creatine. So go back, check out that episode, and uh, enjoy. Secondly, the store. The store on my website is up and running. I just opened it up the other night. On there is the t-shirt, which is going to be a pre-order through this month, through February. So March 1st, I'll submit those orders and then have them made and they'll ship out kind of mid-March, a couple weeks after that. But go on, check it out. There's the t-shirt on there with the circle logo. There's also three or four different variations of a sticker. The circle sticker, the skull sticker, the three color sticker. So go check that out. Free shipping, not a big deal. Go check out the store. Third thing, something I'm personally excited for uh, that you probably don't know about is I'm almost ready to get the staple out of my head. And what staple, you might ask? Well, I have a staple in my head. And it happened at work. Oh, and it was annoying. Uh, So as many of you know, I'm assigned to an ambulance. Uh, We got called out at 2.15 in the morning for the nursing home patient. We got there, and then the nursing home patient said, I really just called you because I felt like the nurses were neglecting me. I don't want your help. I just needed to get their attention. Go away. So that's the thing that happens from time to time. Feels really good, but we went away. Got back probably about 15 minutes later and went to bed. And then at 3 o'clock, that same patient called us back again and said, guess what? I'm still angry. Take me to the hospital. So we did. Because it's a nursing home patient, Uh, We have certain facilities in town that we have to get our full COVID PPE on, which is your glasses and then a face shield over that and then your N95 and then a surgical gown. We keep some spare stuff, some spare PPE in a cabinet in the ambulance just above the side door. So when you walk in the side door, uh, there's a couple shelves there for the bags. There's a drawer that we put all our drugs in. And there's like an outward swinging cabinet with two doors on it right above that. So I went inside and I used the spare stuff so I didn't have to get out of the jump bag, put it on. Uh, The other people in my crew were putting the patient in the ambulance. I walked back in the side door and apparently I neglected to close the compartment door, the cabinet door on the inside. And I spiked the top of my head on the aluminum corner of the cabinet door. And uh, it didn't hurt too bad. thought I just bumped my head. 
reached up and there was immediately blood coming out of my head. So I was careful, you know, I didn't touch my head with anything with like a glove that I touched the patient with or anything like that. I grabbed some Kleenex because hilariously we have Kleenex in the ambulance. So I used a bunch of that and kind of applied pressure to my dome on the way to the hospital. We dropped off the patient and then I had the doctor look at it. Uh, initially, he thought it was just an abrasion because it was covered in blood. So I had one of the nurses help me out and help me clean it out a little bit. And then the doctor said, oh, that could probably use a staple. So I called my BC, checked in as a patient, and received one shiny new staple in the old coconut. Uh, and let me tell you something about these staples. Very effective, these staples. Not comfortable going in my head. I, I like this doctor, younger guy, extremely smart. I always feel very, very relieved and comfortable when I go into his, his ER with a critical patient or a, a difficult call because he is on it. And he numbed me up with lidocaine, both sides of the cut. But man, that thing going in felt like two agonizingly slow crochet needles going into my scalp. And uh, I recommend it for efficiency and for effectiveness, but ugh, not comfortable. So it's in. Uh, I got about three or four more days left, and then I'll be getting that pulled out. And probably at that time, I'll do a little Instagram post on it. I'll show you the culprit. Uh, we wiped off the head goo from my skull that was on the compartment corner, but I'll... Uh, I'll kind of show that on social media and the shiny staple that was removed from my cranium. Uh, in case you couldn't tell, I'm trying to be a little more loose on these episodes. Uh, you know, I was kind of telling Katie and some other people, I feel like I have a voice at home and I have a voice at the fire station, uh, but I'm still searching for my voice here. I'm still trying to figure out how I want to like speak, for lack of a better term. I always feel awkward. I always feel a little bit guarded. Even though when I have interviews on, I tell them, hey, man, just let it rip, and I can edit out whatever you want. Any kind of uh, information you don't want out there, any kind of content you don't want out there, and if you say anything and th you feel it misrepresents you, I'll cut that out. I give them that assurance, and they do, and we work together. We get it done, edit it down. But then when it's my turn to talk, I'm like way, way over-calculated, completely reserved, almost scared to say anything, and I'm trying to let that go a little bit. And I figured what better topic to do it on than vaccines because, man, it's generated a lot of conversation in my fire station and I think in the general public as well. But I feel like being a first responder, being on an ambulance for the majority, the vast majority of this pandemic, uh, we just got our, our annual run numbers in the other day and I, I broke 500 calls. I think it was like 515 or 520, right around there somewhere, estimating that a majority of my days were on an ambulance. I'd say that no less than 450 or 475 of those calls would be ambulance calls. And that's for last year in, in total. And I mean, save the first three months of last year, it was all during the pandemic, right? So I feel like with that amount of experience in this thing and the conversations we're having now about vaccines, I might have a little experience to share. I'm not going to tell you what to do. Okay. This is a, a very nuanced and very personal decision what you're going to do with the vaccine. All I'm going to give you is a little bit of what my decision process was going through it. And that's based off of my perspective and my experience. Like I said, to be completely honest with you, I 100% would expect that if I was in a different position or on a different department, or if my family situation was different, if we didn't have uh, Nathan, who's 20 months now and Spoiler alert, if we weren't expecting a new baby in April and 
if I didn't want to get Katie sick, if we were just dating, if, if everything was different, I would probably have a different opinion on the vaccine. I'd probably have a different attitude towards it. And quite honestly, I'd probably be more of the, I'll just wait and see camp. But I'm not. I'm in this very specific position I'm in now. So I was asked to make a decision, what's in my best interest and the best interest of my family. And I decided to go forward and get the vaccine instead of delaying it or and kind of waiting for the second model or the second round of it or the general population administration to come around. And I've, a lot of stuff factored into that. Like I said, if I was in a different position, my opinion would be different. But as a first responder on an ambulance for the past year, man, we've seen just so much strange and extreme and different and unexplainable suffering and death than I think anybody has seen in their career. And I'm not saying that like, oh, we have it the worst, and I'm not about the heroes work here kind of thing, and um, look how brave we are for enduring this. I'm saying as just a matter of perspective for myself that if you talk to the guys that have been around for 25, 30 years, they will admit they've never seen anything like this. They had the, the first SARS outbreak and the, you know, we kind of made it through the Ebola scare, but nothing's been this impactful for this long of duration that they could think of. And listen, as I talk about this stuff, I'm well aware that there's a thing called vicarious trauma, okay? And I'm not, I'm not purposefully trying to trigger anybody or, or bring up stuff that's a sore issue for you. Like I said, I'm going to tell you about my experiences here. And if you're having a tough time with what I'm saying, I apologize for that. I'm not going to try to challenge you very much. I'm just going to give you my experiences over the past year on this thing. That being said, we saw terrible stuff. I mean, we saw young people get extremely ill. We've had coworkers get extremely ill. We saw people dying in ways that we just could not explain. And being in, in, in states, in physical states when we got to them, that we had absolutely no effectiveness treating. And then it's not like an extremely rare thing. That probably happens once, once or twice a year. You'll get to a situation where, hey, listen, there's just nothing we can do here. Uh, no matter what we throw at this problem, we're not going to solve it. The person is too far gone or the disease process is too far established. We're going to do our best. We're going to go through the steps, but this is going to be an unsuccessful outcome. But at least with those circumstances, you typically know what's going on. It's just that the process is too far along. What we saw this past year was not only was the process, this strange and mysterious process, too far along, it was too far along acutely. And we had no idea what was causing it, what mechanism was causing this. We had people in their 30s and 40s who had been sick for 10, 12 days. They were better for three or four days, and then all of a sudden they dropped dead. And in the time that it took their family to hear them hit the deck and then call us and for us to get there, so let's estimate between five and seven minutes from the incident, less than 10 minutes for sure, when we got to them, we applied our pads to them, we started to evaluate them, they had zero signs of life. They had no electrical activity in their heart, and they were, by all textbook and industry standards, a non-viable patient. And we did our best anyways. We pushed through. We followed our protocols. We exhausted our resources with every single one. But for some reason, this thing was just manifesting in unconscionable, unfamiliar, and very, very troubling ways. And then we started hearing the theories of why this was happening. It was transmitting inside the body from becoming a respiratory infection to a blood disorder. It was becoming now a clotting disorder. 
and then it was changing the size and shape of your heart. And then it was doing neurological damage in your head, which was causing the, the loss of taste and smell. It was just this insane thing that we were trying to wrap our heads around real time. And, uh, you know, this metaphor has been used a lot in this past week for a different circumstance. But it was like Charlie Brown and Lucy with the football that every time we went to go kick that thing, it got yanked back. And we ended up just falling flat with no answers to the questions and even less information than when we started. Now, side note, this is why, this could be why, and I'm speaking again from my personal experience because I had this reaction early on when people would say this is just a bad flu, that sounded reasonable. That sounded reasonable. It looked like it was really that and that people with serious comorbidities were having a tough time with it, which may be expected depending on what their comorbidity was. But then it wasn't, right? It wasn't. And so if you ever experience someone saying, what's the big deal? This is just a bad flu. And that person got a rather emotional and visceral response back at them. It's because of the stuff I just outlined. When's the last time a flu got out of your lungs and gave you a stroke because it turned into a clotting disorder in your bloodstream? When's the last time a flu left your lungs and then change the size and the shape of your heart muscle. When does that happen? When's the last time a flu affected your nervous system to the point where it inhibited the regrowth of nerves in your head, which is what caused the, the loss of taste and smell? Those nerves were damaged. There was inflammation. The virus inhibited the regrowth of them. When is the last time the flu affected any of those other symptoms? I mean, typically with the flu, your risk is dehydration, right? And then obviously if it progresses into some other illness like pneumonia or something worse or more substantial like that, you could have long-term effects because of that. But when's the last time a flu gave you a risk of sudden death due to a cardiac event because it changed the size and the shape of your heart muscle? I mean, that's why those reactions came back strongly. That's a perspective that unless you're sitting in the ambulance day in and day out during this pandemic, you don't get. And so it's understandable that from the outside in, you might say, this is just a bad flu. What's the big deal? This vaccine is weird. It hasn't been around for long enough. You guys are overreacting. You're being manipulated by fear into taking it. That's understandable. I cannot fault the general public or anybody not in my position for thinking that. But from my position, it was different. And for so many first responders, it's different. And so while we don't want to say we've been manipulated by fear into accepting this vaccine, there's certainly, and I'm just being honest with you, there's certain, certainly a part of me that's afraid that that's happened. But, and this is a big but, we have to rely on what we know. And there just aren't many things we know with this virus. Secondary to that, we rely on our personal experiences and what I've shared with you just now over the past couple of minutes is just a fraction of them. But that's, I mean, we all know that's a bulk of what makes up our decisions is what, what's happened to us in the past. That's what we base a majority of our actions on is our personal experiences. And so I had to look at what I've been through for the past year at work, what the cost and benefit of the vaccine is, what the cost and benefit of the virus is. And this is after me contracting it in November. I mean, I got the thing. I got sick in November slept in the basement for a week and a half, two weeks, uh, wore a mask inside. And then we're not going to debate the effectiveness of masks, cloth masks, N95, surgical masks, not, not going to get into it. I did it. 
I stayed away. I stayed a room away from my family uh, for a week and a half, wore a mask inside, slept in the basement. Um, I did all that stuff. Then I heard that, hey, if you got sick, you might have the antibodies, but you might not. And if you, if you got sick and you had mild symptoms, you might not have these cardiac issues or these clotting disorders, but you might. And if you get the vaccine, it's only 95% chance that you won't get the virus again, but you might. But it's a good chance that if you get it, you'll have a lower risk of severe symptoms. And I looked at the cost of the vaccine. What's the cost of getting this thing? And so far, and of course, this is early on, I admit. Now, not early on in the testing necessarily and the life cycle of this vaccine because it was starting to be developed long before this incident. But it seems like the cost of this vaccine is that it's just not quite as effective as we hoped and that it may not help prevent you from spreading it to someone else. Even though you're vaccinated, there's still a chance that I can bring home the virus from work and give it to Nathan or Katie. That seems to be the cost right now. The benefit is, and this is a benefit that I can tell you 100%, without a doubt, you are better off not getting this virus. And I can say that with absolutely no reservations. I can say it with absolutely no asterisks next to it, no caveats. You are 100% better not getting sick with COVID in every way, shape, or form. Even the stress of you worrying about getting it and being hypervigilant and neurotic and isolating yourself and then dealing with those uh, mental hurdles, that stress is, to me, just to me, I'd rather have that stress than the stress of not knowing the eventual detrimental outcomes of getting the virus or while you're going through it, not knowing when or if this thing's going to turn around or when it does turn around, am I going to be one of those people that feels better for two or three days, walks upstairs and drops dead in front of my family? So all those things go into it. And I'm not trying to be melodramatic. I'm not trying to be scare tactic. Like I told you, I'm only giving you my experience. I'm only giving you my thought process. If you listen to this and you say, dude, you're just terrified. You got scared into making a decision. If that's your view after listening to this, I openly admit that plays a role in it. I am scared. I'm absolutely scared that I'm going to get Katie sick. She's pregnant. That's going to create a complication. I'm going to get Nathan sick. I'm scared of giving it to my parents. I'm scared of giving it to my friends. Because every single house we went into was someone dead on the kitchen floor. There was a family there. And just like they suspected in the bigger cities, the multi-generational families got absolutely nailed by this thing. But as you looked around these houses with three, four, or five people in, it was likely, and you can suspect it, there's a chance that one of those people brought it in, knowingly or unknowingly, and mistakenly, or just because they couldn't avoid each other or whatever the case was, possibly gave it to that person who is now dead on the kitchen floor. And I don't want to be that person on the kitchen floor. I don't want to be the person that thinks they might be the one responsible for bringing into the household that caused that person to be on the kitchen floor. You are better off not getting this disease, not getting this virus, not rolling the dice with it, not letting nature take its course, not hedging your bets that you're young and in shape and don't have any risk factors. If there's an opportunity for you not to get sick with COVID, I would encourage you to explore that opportunity. So for me, in my particular situation, I chose to get the vaccine. Just got my second shot the other day. 
I felt like crap for two days. Feel fine now. Um, and if a better option comes out in the future, I'll take that too. For me, it's a total bird in the hand mentality, right? I could hold out and be cautious like I've been and wait for a better version of it or a better option of it to come around. But in the meantime, I'd rather hedge my bets in my favor and take whatever measures I can to avoid getting myself sick again, getting anyone else sick again, and hopefully start returning us back to normal a little bit, a little bit quicker, or at least continue the trend of returning to quote unquote normal, right? And so if you're listening to this and you're still not sure what to do, listen, I can't tell you what to do, okay? All I can do is give you my experience and my perspective. The only thing I'd ask of you is think about it one way or the other. Give it some actual thought. Think about your situation. Think about what you have to gain, what you have to lose. Think about what you want your impact to be, what it could be. And then for my own personal sanity, please have an answer better than I just don't want to or you can't make me. And that's a completely personal request from me. You certainly don't have to do that. But I'll tell you as a first responder after going through this, when you try to appeal someone, appeal to someone through scientific research, which again, I admit is limited on this topic, and then you try to appeal to them through emotional appeal or peripheral persuasion, and they look at you and just give you like the, I don't want to, you can't make me. It's just frustrating. It, it doesn't feel like they invalidate all the work you put in, but it feels like they don't care. And what that it can equate to for the first responder is you can look at that person then from my eyes and say, please do it because I don't want to take care of you when you're on your kitchen floor. You saying I don't care essentially means in the future I may have to encounter you again in a dire circumstance and explain to your family what's going on right now while you're dead. And explain to your family what we're doing to you on the kitchen floor when you said you were getting better from this thing that was described to you as just a flu. So guys, I'm sorry if this is a bummer. I really am. I told you I want to get a little more loose with these, uh, be a little more personable on here. I'm not sure this was the best way to do it. I'm much more jovial than this typically, I promise. And the episodes going forward, I will be. We're going to start doing interviews again. We're going to start doing fun stuff again. I want to talk more about training methods. Uh, and I understand that's a very small part of it. And then that communication and mentality and all that is an enormous part of it. But there's some fun stuff to talk about on the specific training side that I think the fire service and the, the first responder population is severely underserved with. So I want to get into that stuff too. But this was a very important topic to me. Like I said, not to try to influence you or tell you what to do, but just to give you my perspective of it. A perspective that you don't hear often because the fire service is absolute garbage at self-promotion. Uh, we don't like to tell people when we did a good job. We certainly don't like to be told when we've been, been doing a bad job. But you're, you're going to find very few people in the fire service who actually want to level with you and tell you what it's like to go through what we've been going through for the past year. And you, if you're in the general public, you have equally as important and equally as grave and equally as weighty experiences. I have no doubt in my head. But I'm just going to give you ones that I got. I'm not trying to compare. I'm not trying to diminish. Nothing. Nothing like that. Like I said, if I was in a different circumstance, different position, different environment, I could certainly see myself having a different perspective as well. But I don't. 
This is what I got. Can't tell you it's 100% correct. I can tell you that it's the best decision I can make with the information I had available at the time. All right, guys, let's wrap this thing up. Thank you if you stuck around this long. Thanks for hanging out. As always, my goal on here is to always give you purposeful, practical, and applicable information. I can't wait to get back to interviews after this one. My goodness. If you need anything, oh, don't hesitate to reach out. All right. I'm on Instagram at fourth shift fitness, number four TH shift fitness. I'm on Gmail, number four TH fourth shift fit at gmail.com. Like I said, the store is open. Go check out the store, order a t-shirt, get a couple stickers, make yourself feel good after this episode. Yikes. I will talk to you guys soon. As always, be a four shifter. Bye-bye.